I feel like Zelda is me connecting with all different parts of myself. It's a connection of old European style, of New York style, and then my Australian culture. And I just think it's a blend of all those things, as well as the desire to disrupt people's idea a little bit of bread. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to somebody who I came into contact with because of my deep love of bread. I really feel like bakers, and particularly micro bakers, there's quite... uh, often eccentric, don't hate me, Mariasha, eccentric people who are in small rooms obsessing over their starters, um, like thoughtfully running their hands through flour, shaping dough meditatively or sometimes um, frantically uh, and just, you know, talking endlessly about crumb. I feel like these are my people. Bakers are definitely my people. I feel very at home in that world. Not that I'm in any sense a successful baker myself, but I am bringing into the conversation on Dirty Linen, Mariasha Werdiger, who has brought sourdough bread to the Orthodox Jewish community in Melbourne in a way um, that I don't think has really been done before. So, and Mariasha has just opened her first shop, which is huge in the Jewish community. Mariasha, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. I think um, the first time that I was lucky enough to try your bread, I had to go to a garage uh, down a dead-end street and there were a lot of... um, yeah, there was just a lot of Orthodox Jews there lined up to get these, their brown paper bags pre-ordered of, um, you know, your loaves and your pastries. And it was just an incredible scene. Um, can you tell us about the progression of your bakery from its ghetto origins to one of the, one of, um, the inner south's uh, busy little shopping strips? Yeah. And when you talk about that, I really, um, it brings me really good memories. I feel really lucky with my customers. Um, Really, really lucky because they've come with me from the beginning all the way. Um, I lived overseas for a while and I moved back seven years ago. And someone gave me starter maybe 11 years ago and I was baking and sourdough. I was always baking bread, but um, something just got me with the sourdough. But I found it quite dense. I went on a whole mission to try and make my bread better. And at the time, there wasn't any resources or books. There was very little on YouTube. And um, and then I just found myself obsessing and obsessing over how to make it better. And I would go – there was two sourdough bakeries around and I would go there and bug them and say, how do I do it? How do I do it? And then um, by the time I worked out how to make a bread that I really envisioned in my head and made it the reality, we moved back here and no one around me had ever had anything like that or not for a really long time. So people started asking me to teach them. They're like, teach us, please. So I started a workshop and I started teaching people. And then um, and then it just became more and more. And I had my third kid and I'd always had this dream of I just had this massive urge to bake more and more and more and I felt really limited by one pot at a time in my kitchen. But I just kept on saying, well, that's a stupid idea to have a bakery because I'm a physio and I have another career. But it just didn't stop that urge. It was like really big. And then 
one day I had the revelation that actually I'm allowed to have a bakery and I can do whatever I want. I had to like ignore all those voices in my head telling me it was a stupid idea. And then three years ago, we moved to a house, maybe three and a half, we moved to a house with a, a garage that already had plumbing and I looked at it and I was like, okay, this is going to be the bakery. And then I just <laughs> bought one oven and a mixer and um, found a bunch of stuff and I didn't even know what I was doing and I just started baking. So first I would have like people would say, can you make me a loaf? And I would write down like 30 names and then they would come pick it up and then I started adding cakes. Um, before then I was baking a lot for Saturday and having a lot of people over on Saturday morning. So that's when I was doing all like babka and croissants um, so I spent a lot of my nights during the week baking. And then once I opened the garage door, I don't know, it just became really busy and I feel really lucky. And it just and every few weeks I had to stop and recalibrate and say, okay, how can I make this better? And then I'd go for it again. And then three weeks later, stop. And I did that for about three years, just kept on getting busier and busier. Um, and I was learning like a lot every time, making a lot of mistakes. Um, yeah. Until eventually I really needed a space. It was like taking up too much of the house. And and then I just spent a lot of the year last year during COVID. I'd bake Thursday, Friday and spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday trying to sort out all the business side because I really had no experience of that. And then 2021 started and I, um, I found this space and I made it work. Well, I'm trying to make it work. <laughs> it's so only been open. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, it, and my customers have come, and I feel really lucky. Yeah, I mean, we—I I feel like you know, sourdough has been uh, definitely at the forefront of the baking scene in Melbourne. You know, for you know, I want to say fifteen years at least. You know, there's people doing it before that, of course, but yeah, the, no one the, in the like the current community. scene. But why? Why? What's tell us? I mean, a lot of people know nothing about the kosher community. Tell us about that community and, and why they weren't already eating good bread. Well, first I'll just say that through when I was um, overseas, living overseas, my obsessiveness with sourdough, I was alone. But then I slowly found more people um, on Instagram. Actually, we kind of like connected and found each other. And there was a very big movement in Australia. And a lot of there was a few other people doing that as well, like on their little mission doing it. And then we started meeting and we started connecting and supporting one another. And I also found some other crazy women bakers. There's not many, which it's kind of like the new wave of sourdough bakery. Like there was, um, and I feel like that's kind of been happening in Melbourne in the past 10 years or so. And um, now there's, it's growing a lot, but they have also been there and supported me and we support each other. And that's like completely separate from the Jewish community. Mm. I think yeah. um, the bakeries in the kosher community haven't changed at all in the past 30 years at all. There's no real, there was no real sourdough. There was no real rye bread. I don't know why. I'm not sure. Um, the whole food scene in the Jewish community didn't really, in Melbourne, didn't really inspire me much at all. I wanted to create something that I personally wanted to eat. Um, they haven't changed in terms of like ethics, environmental, um, really grain economy I don't know why I don't know because a lot of the people are originally European and they would have I get a lot of how this is what they used to have when they were younger and I think my great-grandfather was a baker in Australia in Perth they moved to Australia and he was a baker I don't know but the food the food 
it had it, there was no one pushing it there was there was no good bread at all so what were some of the conversations that you had to have to sort of like explain what you're doing to people i mean were I did, did you I have to have conversations about like well this is what it's supposed to be like it's supposed to taste like this it's supposed to smell like this it has to cost this much i mean did you have some did you really have to almost reintroduce people to something that had probably been part of you know their their family's heritage um back in europe for generations Totally. I had to give away a lot of bread. I had to give away rye <laughs> bread. And I said, this is a different type of rye. I gave away a lot. I did. I had to explain everything, what it was, why it looked like this, how to eat it, how to store it. I mean, I still do that actually. Yesterday, I I actually yesterday gave bread to somebody and it was the first time that they've ever had good bread before. Um, it's still happening like that. Re-educating, I really feel like I educated one person at a time. And now a lot of the people that came to me bake it. Um, I mean, in the past year, a lot of people have started baking, which is, I've just been watching. It was very different when I started. But, um, yeah, st- educating the whole time. But I think because it tastes good, once they get it, they get it, they're in. But do you, what, what's the progression from there though, Mariasha? Because once you have good bread, like you want good stuff to go with it. So do you feel like is there this um, percolation of, uh, you know, or people's eyes like blinging open and they're like, oh, food is, this, food is like this as well? I think so. Also, um, I've definitely put the like now they know what sourdough is, that there's going to be more, there will eventually be more kosher sourdough bakeries. Um, I think that's going to happen soon as well because now you can't go back really. You can only go forward. Yeah, there's a small foodie culture in the Orthodox community. There's not too many. Uh, there's not, um, yeah, but I. it's nice to also have be, I guess, the only option for a lot of people. Like I think I thrive on that as well. Like I know that I'm very much a part of their life. And I know when it's their birthday and I know what their husband likes or what their wife likes or what their kids. I think I enjoy that a lot. I think it gives me a lot of energy to keep going, actually, that relationship. Well, I, I remember one time where I went to, it wasn't your garage. You had to move garages for various reasons. Oh, the queues got too big on your street, I think. Um, so, and there was this woman who was coming to buy like eight loaves of bread and she was FaceTiming her, I think it was her father or her uncle in San Francisco. And so he's on the phone with, you know, the, the big beard and, yeah. she, they, and the whole family knows you. So she faces the phone around so he can say hello to you as you hand over the bread. Like it's just a there's just so many connections in that community but I think you know the 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 orthodox Jewish community the kosher community is it's pretty closed off to the rest of um of uh of the community can you just give people a bit of a primer on you know what um yeah what's eaten when and what's not eaten right bread has a different yeah so I guess um to explain what makes bread kosher in general so that's why um, a lot of people can't go anywhere else. Um, well, bread has its own laws compared to other food. Other food, the, there's laws concerning mixing of meat and milk and how meat is killed and how dairy is made. But bread, actually, um, the oven has to be turned on by a Orthodox Jew and there has to be a, I have to make a blessing on all the bread. And this sort of is a spiritual thing that goes back um, thousands of years from yeah um, it's thousands of years old so if it's not blessed by a Jew and if the oven's not turned by 
turned on by a Jew or essentially baked by a Jew, then the bread isn't considered kosher enough for a lot of people. So I guess that's why they're very limited. Um, yeah, which means that my ovens have to be – and bread can only be um, – it, it has to be vegan. It can't be a dairy at all. I have to s- separate that a lot. So my ovens, I can't use dairy in them. There's like a lot of those restrictions that I have that are different to other bakeries. And that's why the Orthodox communities often, um, yeah, they can't eat out at other places because they don't follow those laws. Mm. So it limits them a little bit. Yeah. The Orthodox community is not too big, but it's very active and it's very close, which is, it's good and bad, but I'm enjoying it mostly. And do you feel like you're catering to that community mostly or are you hoping that everyone's going to come and enjoy your bread? Um, it was. It started with friends and family and then it grew and grew and grew to more like friends or family. So it was people that I knew. Um, and now I would say it's mostly orthodox, yeah. And also it's been very hard to get to. It's been like this secret society kind of thing, not on purpose, just because it was pop-ups and it was moving and it was in my garage and I'm very limited in what I could make. So it was not accessible for a lot of people. So I think the shop is going to eventually be, make it more accessible. I'd also like to think that I'm doing different kinds of breads that will appeal to people that are not in the Orthodox community, or I'm doing Jewish style foods from like old school Europe or Brooklyn that no one else is really doing. Um, so I'm hoping to be more accessible to a lot of people, actually, people that are looking for something a little different or old school bread or, yeah. Mm. Well, I know that um, Ben Shuri from Attica, which is just a few doors up from Zelda, your bakery, came and uh, tried your bread the other day and he was super impressed. <laughs> I was very humbled, yeah. And it was really sweet that he that he came. Also, he's in the neighbourhood. He's my neighbour, so... That was really nice. Um, I have a lot of – I bake a little differently because I, I'm a home baker, I guess, or a micro baker at heart. I do – I have like six different starters. It's not common really to do that because it just overcomplicates everything. Um, so I'm hoping that the bread, the flavors come through with that. It's just a bit different and a bit more complicated, a bit more hectic. Um, <laughs> I can't seem to help it. I feel like there's something in you and maybe it's a baker thing, but you just have to be a bit hectic. I know, I know it's not good, but it keeps happening. But also it's really interesting because I finally um, have staff and I hired a baker for the first time ever and he's got no idea how to make bread from home. And I just think that's like he only he's not going to make bread at home. He doesn't have his equipment. He doesn't have any of that. And I just think of all those years of where I like cried after every week. I tried this and this failed and I tried that and that failed. And I, I had to learn, like, I actually think that it's not the regular way to go to become a baker, but actually you learn a lot when you teach yourself and you make mistake after mistake after mistake. Like even the butter that I use, I'm really limited. I can only use one type of butter and it's really bad. It's barely butter and I have to do a lot of different things to it to make croissants and I just, every time that I would make croissants for the past five years or eight years, I swore I was never going to do it again. So many issues at home when you don't have equipment that I actually think it makes you quite more well-rounded. Mistakes lead to a lot of growth. Like if you just enter straight away and you're trained by somebody at the bakery how to use I think it's it's just you're getting to the same place in a different kind of way. 
that I, it was very, very difficult and very challenging. But I actually think, I think it, I think maybe it's, there's a lot of positives to it as well. Well, I feel like nothing is going to phase you. Like you're, you're going to be able to improvise in any situation. Yeah. But I'm also always a bit too far ahead. Like I'm always, I'm always, I jump into it and then I learn and then I jump into it and then I learn. But I can't, yeah, that's just how I learn. So and I think this space is like that too, but hopefully it will get better and better. What's the yeah. deal with the only using one type of butter? Is that a kosher butter? Yeah, because I personally am, I'll, I'm not as strict as my family, but my immediate family is keeps like ultra kosher, which means that all the dairy's been supervised by Jew the whole way through from the milking all the way to the end. Uh, very few Jews keep that kosher, and I just really didn't want to make a bakery, didn't want to make baked goods that my parents couldn't eat. I just wanted to be more inclusive, I guess. And there's only one type of butter like that, and there's not a big demand for it. So they don't they don't make it properly. It's not kind of emulsified properly. So we really have to work with it and it's, it's really challenging but it, it is what it is So, and we just, yeah, keep working with it. Mm. And what's the deal with um, women and sourdough bakery? Why don't you think that there are as many women in the industry? I, it's just one of those industries that traditionally was men. I think it's slowly changing but um, there's a lot of industries like that where it was traditionally all men or traditionally all women. Like even I was a physio and all the speech therapists and the OTs were all women. There was very few men. So baking is definitely male-dominated. There's really very few women-owned bakeries. Um, I think traditionally it was men. Mm. But I haven't felt – it's been hard for me as a woman to juggle my own life with children. You know, there's not too many – I think – those challenges a lot of women have to face more than men, like juggling the house and the kids. Still women are doing a lot more of that than men. Um, but apart from my personal struggles with trying to get the business going, like that's why it also took so long because I have so many things in my personal life with the kids. Um, but I haven't felt with my little group of breakaway bakers or I don't know what you want to call them, the ones that are kind of pushing it and trying to improve the grand economy, I haven't felt... Um, I've only felt support, mm. definitely. Can you talk um, about some of the challenges of, you know, a bakery in the garage and little children? Uh, yeah. So basically my third kid, he he wouldn't go to childcare for whatever reason, so I actually couldn't work, so I started baking. If I think if I would have gone back to work, I probably wouldn't have ever had a bakery. But um you have to work around them and it was always hard. Every single time that I baked was always hard and they can't. And then eventually as it grew bigger, I, it's good as well. Like I'm still um, in that mode where I come back at night to feed my starters because I lived right next to my starter. Yeah. So I was able to like go and come and feed it, just go into the garage, come back. Also I could watch all my bread. So monitor the fermentation. I wasn't away from them at all. So I still, <laughs> this shop is 500 meters from my house kind of on purpose because I'm still not ready to let go yet. I still have to like pop in and pop out. So that's really good. And having work in your house is also really good. Um, but I had ghetto equipment and things that the every time the ovens were on, the house became really hot. And, <laughs> and olive bread also has a really strong smell. So by the end, my husband was like, when you bake olive bread, I need to leave the house. Like the whole house <laughs> smells of olives and I can't cope. <laughs> he, he really it got a lot. And also all the people coming, It was I loved it. But 
the rest of them all really hated it. I think they all hated people coming to our house all the time and me always being in the bakery. Yeah. It's and hard. can you can you literally like hold a baby and knead bread at the same time? No, no. So you know what? That is a very romantic idea. <laughs> but actually um, I learned that when the kids were little and people take pictures of that with their kids sitting on the flower and teaching their kids. But actually once it became a fully functioning micro bakery, I actually had to make like a very strong red line that they weren't allowed to come in because it's, it's actually dangerous. So when I look at those pictures and also I think the sourdough, the chaos and the work and the long hours caused a lot of chaos in my house because I couldn't manage everything. So I had to really learn over time how to manage everything. And one of the things I had to do was create strong boundaries. So sometimes the kids could come in or when all the products were made, but I actually didn't allow them in by the the past two years, they weren't really allowed in. And they learned that it wasn't, it's a romantic idea that in reality is quite dangerous. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it was annoying as well. Um, but I got to bake at night around them, popping in, popping out, had to get more house help. Yeah. So this separation is actually, I think, good for the family. Also, there was a lot of overflow in my house because it's not a big house. So once you get flower deliveries and they kept growing, so I would first have five bags and then 10 bags and then 18. And then all the rest of the the ingredients would like spill over into my house from the garage. And then I had to get more fridges in my house. So by the end, half the house was bakery. So like it wasn't so good. So now we're working hard to try and turn my house back into a home. It's actually going to take a bit of time. And in the meantime, you're going to be just checking that the baby's sleeping at the bakery and just walking down and sneaking little peeks at the, at the loaves and the starter and, Making sure I that they're back, snuggled yeah. and cozy. <laughs> my five started. Um, yeah, no, I come back at night and then I go. But that's not my goal. Eventually, um, I'll get better at that. That so separation. Now, so now where I've, I've moved, I have help now, but um, I'm still only open once a week and then twice a week. It's a bit different than a normal bakery, I guess, that does like a big opening. We're ready. Here we are. Open Monday to Friday. But because I guess it's like a natural progression of the garage, it's still a little bit uh, like I'm working as hard as I can, but we're still, I I gave myself a month for soft opening. And then after Easter, I'll know exactly when I'm open. And because I still also, I want to try and make a bakery that's sustainable. Like the garage was not sustainable. I want to be able to, yeah, make it, like that it will work with my life and that will work for the customers and that it's more accessible to more people. So it's just taking me a bit of time. So it's a little bit unconventional like that. Mm. It's so funny to me that you say after Easter instead of after Passover. Yeah, they're the same, so it's okay. Um, so Pesach, we have to shut for a week, Passover, because we're not. A, that's forced holiday. Yeah. I'm not allowed in at all, yeah. Explain that to people. Explain what Passover is. It's the least – we have a lot of festivals – the years revolve kind of around festivals, which I guess a lot of people's do. Um, but Passover is the least fun festival, to be honest. And you are not allowed to have any leavened products. So um, in terms of bread, like baking powder is not really considered leavened. No bread at all. On the, You're not allowed to work with bread. You're not allowed to own bread. You're not allowed to um, 
I'm not even allowed to get other people to work. If I, if I own the business, it has to be shut and there's no crumbs in your house. There's a lot of reasons why and it goes back a long time. Like some of them are to honour what happened when the Jews um, had exodus from Egypt and they said that they didn't have time. So this is really interesting because we grew up and we were always taught in school that we eat matzah, which is an unleavened flatbread. It's just flour and water and you have to quickly mix flour and water and then it has to be baked before 18 minutes and then it's considered kosher matzah. So it looks like a cracker but it's almost barely it's not it's unfermented flour and water just mixed together yeah so we were always taught that the jews um had to leave egypt really quickly and they didn't have time for the bread to rise so that's why we have matzah that's one of the reasons so that's what they they taught us always in school and then only a few years ago and i always used to wonder like why wouldn't they have time for the bread to rise bread rises in like half an hour that doesn't make sense and then only a few years ago i was teaching a workshop and it suddenly dawned on me that it was because all their bread was naturally fermented. So what happens is that um, why 18 minutes as well? First I thought, first I realised, oh, it was naturally fermented, which means it didn't rise quickly. So they didn't have time for it to rise because naturally fermented bread rises yeah. very slowly. And then I realised, what's 18 minutes about? Like what happens at 18 minutes? And then I realised, like if you mix flour and water together, it will ferment naturally just because of the bacteria in the air. So I actually think it's connected. Like once I had a deeper understanding of what happens when you, like natural spontaneous fermentation between flour and water and how it works, I understood matzah. Oh, that is so interesting. That. Yeah, that yeah. is really amazing. Yeah. I never thought of that either. I just, yeah. yeah. They also say that leavened, these are just other interpretations, but that leavened bread is kind of like a leavened ego and unleavened bread. They kind of compare it to ego. So you, you, the idea of the festival is also to rid yourself of your ego. There's a lot of different interpretations, but it's, it's, a, very, um, it's a very strict law that a lot of people keep where they don't have any bread. Yeah, so you got to close. Close, yeah, which is good in a way. Mm. It's gonna, I think it will force me to reflect a little bit and then be able to and and it corresponds with easter often yeah so that's why i'll get the proper signage and when we're open i'm giving myself until then it's so exciting it's so exciting for the community it's so exciting for the neighborhood um and yeah it's it's really amazing to hear a bit more of the backstory behind zelda what's your vision for it you know where do you want it to go mariasha I think for now, I I feel like Zelda is me connecting with all different parts of myself from my, like, inspiration from, I mean, I do lots of different things, but it's a connection of old European style, of New York style, which was, I guess, pre and post-war. I'm very inspired by that. And then my Australian culture. And I just think it's a blend of all those things as well as the desire to disrupt people's idea a little bit of bread, which I don't have to do as much anymore. Then I really had to. But um, And also where there is a focus on flavour. So it may not, it's not going to look perfect and I guess it's, um, and it's not always going to be the same, but a place where you know that whatever you're eating 
um, every single level of it has been thought about and, yeah, a place where you can try different things, emerge of different cultures, celebrating Jewish, Australian. I think it's going to be small and... I'm not sure, but I think maybe Wednesday to Friday type thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, I love it. I love your I love your obsession and I love the way that you go deep into it and I know that you're always going to be like stressing over the next incredible product that you're going to bring to market. But yeah, th- thanks for doing what you do, Marietta, and, and thanks thank for telling your, your story I today. Felt I felt it from the beginning, your support. I really did and I really appreciate it. Uh, I think what you're doing is really special. So, yeah, um, supporting it is really easy. Thanks for the bread. (laughs) I'd love to feed you. I do love feeding people, (laughs) if you haven't noticed. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks. See ya. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.